Amen. You can give you can give that a hand. Yes, good stuff. Um, to me, the 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 '60s were just a monumental decade. How many of you either were born in the '60s or you lived through the '60s? Raise your hand. How many of you that lived through the 60s don't remember the 60s? Raise your hand. Okay, so we know where you stand. Um, uh, so many of us in this room are, are products of the 60s. Now, uh, I was born in 1966. Anybody born in 1966? Well, Stephanie, good, we got a couple. What's that, Ruth? I had one of my kids then. Born in 1966? Okay, thanks, Ruth. We appreciate that. A little comment, a little side comment. Um, uh, I, so I was born, but I, I, you know, I, have to, I don't remember. Obviously, I was too young. I'm more of a product of, of the '70s and '80s. So I'm I'm the uh, you know Brady Bunch, uh, Happy Days, Disco Music, Bruce Springsteen, uh, Rocky Part One through '60. So that's that's kind of where I live. That's not me. But but the '60s really intrigued me because it was such a a decade of, of huge, massive cultural shift. You had uh, the civil rights movement. You had uh, Vietnam that, that started. Uh, uh, you had this huge music uh, explosion of the Beatles invasion, Simon and Garfunkel. You had uh, Motown. Uh, the 60s ended with, with Woodstock. Um, there was our, our uh, we launched off into space. There was, there was just huge, huge movement. There was, you know, the space race with, with, with Russia. It was just really just an interesting, interesting uh, decade. It was a, it was a decade where, where many put on their Grateful Dead t-shirts, their tie-dyed uh, Grateful Dead t-shirts and, and headed to, uh, to San Francisco in their VW buses, right? And, and the reason why they did that, there was this huge cultural shift to do that, to basically find themselves. It was really a, a, a huge, massive cultural shift from what the 50s offered. You, you ever watch the TV shows from the 50s? And, and, and it's like, did that world ever exist after the 60s? Because if you've ever, you know, if, if you get a chance, you can watch Me TV, which is really cool because it shows all the old TV shows. So you can kind of see the 50s, like the Donna Reed show, you know, uh, you know, Mr. Ed. And, you know, some of these, let me know what I'm talking about. Some people, you know, Father Knows Best. Leave it to Beaver. Okay, so you, you kind of see those shows and I Love Lucy. And, and you know, it, it really, it's interesting to watch those because the culture is so different from the 60s. And so the 60s was kind of this age of discovery. Um, everybody tried everything. It, it, and, and, and basically what was happening here is is from this cultural shift that we saw in the 50s that, that seemed like everybody kind of fit in the same mold all those molds were kind of broken. And there was this identity issue. I, who am I? Can, can I trust people? Can I trust the establishment? Songs were written to, to protest these uh, very things. And, and, and that's what we've been looking at. And I, I believe what we went through in the 60s is, is no different from what we're battling with today. And I, and I believe one of the biggest crises that we face in our world today is really an identity crisis. We, we, we don't know who we are or and, and, and even for those that are uh, followers of, of, of Christ, um, do we really understand what our identity is in Christ? And I believe for, for many Christians, 
um, they're, they're going through an identity crisis. They're wondering who I am in Christ and, and, and how does that look in my life in comparison to uh, the culture that I live in. And, and so what we've been doing is we've been studying the book of Ephesians. We've been going chapter by chapter, pretty much verse by verse in the book of Ephesians. And what Paul does is, as he writes this epistle, he's writing to a church, not any, necessarily anything bad, just really to encourage them. But really what Paul does through these verses and through the chapters and through his epistle is really outlines for us uh, what does it look like to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to, to identify yourself with Christ? And, and I believe when we understand who we are in Christ, it changes everything. I believe it changes the way we look at the world. I believe it changes the way we look at the world that we live in. I believe it changes the way we deal with the world that we live in now. I believe it changes the way we look at ourselves. No longer do the things in the past, as we saw in the video, uh, define us. I believe it helps us to get through uh, the things that we go through in our daily living when we understand that I'm ultimately attached to Christ and nothing changes that. And, and I believe the reason why we're such in an identity crisis is because for, for, for mostly for most in America, we really attach our, our identity to what we do and how we look and how successful we are. And when those things don't pan out in our lives, the, 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 the floor kind of drops out in our lives. And then we go on searching for something new. And when, what's the next thing that I can do to kind of prove myself? But for the follower of Christ, we don't have to allow those things to, to, to show who we are or, or, or to uh, define who we are. And so I love the way that Paul uh, uh, outlines this for us in the, in the book of, of Ephesians. So here's the problem. When, when I look to myself to find my worth, I will fall short every single time for this reason. We're looking to worldly things to make me feel good about myself. Whether it's I try to do well at sports or my job or as a student to get all A's, but the problem is, where does it end? So, so we go on from there. We may look to our marriages or our children or our jobs for our security and happiness, but yet we never seem to feel complete and, and all in a failed effort to feel better about ourselves. And that's what I love about this book of Ephesians that Paul writes to this church in Ephesus. It really shows us who we are in Christ. So what I want to do is we've been reading uh, through Ephesians. We've gone through chapter one. We started off in chapter two. I want to finish off in the rest of chapter two today. And I, hopefully you guys have been reading through the book of Ephesians, gave you a little homework. So read through that. Keep reading through uh, the six chapters of Ephesians so that you can be prepared uh, for, uh, for these uh, six series of messages. So let's, let's dive into Ephesians chapter two. We're going to look at verses 11 through 22 today. And what I want to look at today is um, for those that are in Christ Jesus, we are now reconciled. This is a huge word in the word of God. And what Christ did for us by coming to this earth was not simply just to to come and to do nice things and to uh, do nice things for people and to heal people, which he did all those things. The reason why Jesus came was to fix something that was broken. Okay. The main purpose for Jesus coming to earth 
was to seek and save that which was lost, that which was destroyed. You don't seek out something that is found. You seek out something that is lost. The reason why you fix broken relationships is because something needs to be reconciled. Something's not right. And so when Jesus came, he came to reconcile the broken relationship that man had with God because of our sin. And so what I want us to see here, my identity in Christ, when I'm a follower of Christ, changes from one that was alienated from God, that was distant from God, and now through Christ, he unites us to become friends with God. Now, here's what I want to do. Hopefully, by the end of the message, we're going to apply this to our lives. How does that look? How does my identity in Christ is now reconciled with God through Christ? How does that look in how we deal with the world? The church has swung and missed on this issue. Here's the reason why we understand what it means to be. If if you've been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, or you read the word of God, we understand. Okay, pastor, I get that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. I was a sinner. Jesus died in my place. Um, And and Jesus reconciles that broken relationship now through God. And and now I can be made right through God. I, I, I get that. So, but what happens is we end up applying it to our lives and then it stops there. God says, not only do I I not want it just to stop with your life, but now I want you to be agents of reconciliation in this world that's lost and broken. I want you to be the ones that go out and restore the brokenness that's in the world. I want to use you. I don't want you to to hide in the four walls of your church and, and have a nice holy huddle. And say, this is wonderful. God says, no, now I want you to go into the world and be those agents of reconciliation that now you understand I've been reconciled with God. Now God says, I want to use you through your relationships to reconcile others back to a right relationship with God. And I want to use your life to do that. So how does that look? How does that look in this messed up world when people irritate us? When, when, when people don't do things that we like or, 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 or do things that are contrary to what we believe. So what do we do? How, how does that look in our everyday life? So you have to stay to the end of the message to find that out. So let's, let's jump into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter two. Let's start with verse 11 and let's see what Paul says here. Cause this is huge because he's speaking about this broken relationship that not only man had with God, but the broken relationship that the Gentile had with the Jew. And here's, here's the example that Paul uses that when Christ came and reconciled you, it was seen. Listen, listen, listen. It was seen in everyday relationships. And so the biggest broken relationship that Jesus came into during that time was this broken hostility between the Gentile who didn't know God, who the Jews looked at as, as hostile and, and, and as a savage against God, someone that didn't want to know God. And you had someone that was a, a, a Jew who maybe was that seeker of God. There's that broken relation between Jew and Gentile. And he, he goes, when Jesus came, he restored that right before your very eyes. So let's read this because this is huge. He says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. He goes, don't don't forget that that you were once on the outside looking in. You were called, and he just calls it, uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. 
That's like calling, that's like saying your mom wears combat boots, right? I mean, that, that, that's trash talking right there. He says, you were called uncircumcised heathen by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, which showed that they were different. The circumcision showed that they were united with God, that, that God set this pattern with Abraham, that you are going to be separate. And circumcision showed that they were set apart unto God, different from the world. He says, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. He goes, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God made with them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And he explains why. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jew and Gentile into one people. This is huge. This is crazy talk for people that lived during this time. He says, you became one people in him. How? In his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jew and Gentile by creating in himself a one new people from two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by the means of his death on the cross. And our, our hostility towards each other was now put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him. And he brought peace to the Jews who were near. Now, all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Now, the one thing that I notice about Christianity that's different from every other system of belief is this one thing. God is all about tearing down walls, not building them up. Thank you. That was a great spot for an amen. And see, when we look at other world religions, it's all about building walls up. It's all about separation, but not so with the gospel message. The gospel message is all about tearing down walls. Now, let me give you some examples here because this passage of scripture is huge for us to understand here because you do not understand the hostility that was between the Jew and the Gentile during Jesus' day. In fact, they would go around Samaria and not even pass through that land because they would look at the Samaritans as kind of half-breeds, half-Jew and, 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 and half-something else. They wouldn't even pass through that land, so they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't condemn themselves. And so this hostility was, was seen in everyday living. It was seen in, in their temple worship. It, it, it was, this separation was huge. There was such an hostility here. And he says, through Christ, he broke that hostility. He reconciled it through his own life that we now become one through Christ Jesus. So God is all about breaking down those walls. Now, we do a great job as humans building up walls between us. Don't we? 
We do a great, great job at doing that. But whether it's in Northern Ireland with huge concrete walls that separate Protestant districts from Catholic ones, or whether it's in Israel where walls are everywhere in, in Israel. I remember uh, seeing the Berlin Wall come down in 1989 uh, that separated East Berlin from West Berlin, the wall that separated communists from free freedom. People risked their lives uh, to cross uh, through and over that wall. In Christ's day, there was a wall within the temp- temple area that read this, no foreigner shall go within that sanctuary. This separated the Jew from the non-Jew. There was in the early church a huge, huge separation. It was, it was visible between the Jew and the Gentile. And then what Paul paints for us here is a wonderful picture for us in this passage of Jesus being this great equalizer now. This was huge in the early church. A Jew could not associate with a Gentile or they would be considered unclean. And Paul says, as a Gentile, you were outsiders actually looking in. The division was Jew and Greek, Paul tells us. And all you were in these two classifications. There was no middle ground. You either were in or you were out. And, and so part of God's promises was to bring these two groups of people together to make us one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, here was the difference. Here's what Paul said. In Christ, now you have a new identity. It's not one that separates us, but it's one that says now we are brothers and sisters in the Lord. There's not this one identity any longer because that one identity uh, uh, that separates us was saying, well, I'm this and you're that. And we can't associate because you're this and you're that. I don't even know you, but I'm not supposed to like you because you're not like me. But in Christ, he breaks down all those barriers. In Christ, we have this new identity. It doesn't matter whether you're Greek, Jew, male, female, slave, nor free. Paul says we're all one in Christ Jesus now. There's no more separation. And so this is huge because this is what caused the early church to explode. That the Jew now that has been filled with the Holy Spirit and following Christ began to reach over that wall. That partition that divided them. Now they're reaching over that wall and saying, hey, Christ died for all. For all who come to him can now be found in Christ. And now you're my brother. And believe me, if you read through the book of Acts, you can tell that they still, even the early church, had problems with that. They were working through this. That's why Paul wrote about it. That's why Paul had to kind of straighten Peter out a little bit when they got together and Peter were just eating with the Jews and kind of alienated some of the, uh, some of the Gentile uh, brothers in the Lord. And Paul had to kind of, kind of get in Peter's face a little bit, say, hey, wait a minute, time out. We're one in Christ Jesus. So we have this new identity. And so before Paul says we were, there was hostility, there was anger, there was separation. Jesus died for the Jew who, for those uh, uh, were near. But he said, but also he died for the Gentile who were far away to bring them into the fold. Now this was monumental uh, for the first century church. And here's why the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2 was so monumental in setting up the church because what happened is this, this first outpouring of the Spirit that we see in Acts chapter 2, we, we, we know was first poured out on the Jews that, that were there in Jerusalem praying at the Feast of Pentecost. 
But then what happened is it didn't stay there. The Holy Spirit began to move and to begin to go over those walls of just Jews, but over to the Gentiles that, that now Gentiles were coming into the fold and they were being baptized with that same spirit. And the reason why we know that as we read through the book of Acts, uh, when we see in Acts chapter two, they, they, they received the gift of speaking with other tongues. And so they knew that there was some supernatural sign that happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, follow me here. This is really interesting. So when they began to pray and reach out to the Gentiles, they noticed that they received the same gift. And so Peter, noticing that the Gentiles received the same gift, Peter says, well, what keeps us from baptizing them, the Gentiles? For they received the same gift that we received on the day of Pentecost. And so the gift of the Holy Spirit began to blend these two groups together. It was a huge, miraculous work of God when the Holy Spirit was poured out onto the early church that brought Jew and Gentile together, the same gift, because we know from the prophecies of Joel that, that through these prophecies, we understand that God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what background you are. It doesn't matter what your economic background is. It doesn't matter what your ethnic background is. I, I, I tell you what, I think one of the greatest witnesses of reconciliation that I ever saw as a teenager was this. I witnessed this. I was at um, kind of like a teen conference of the, the full gospel businessmen would have these big conferences in Rochester and they, they would have a teen section where you could go and, and listen to speakers and stuff. And I can remember this like, like it was yesterday. And I can remember seeing uh, two speakers. One speaker, this man used to be a grand wizard of the KKK in the South. And he became a believer in Christ and Christ changed everything. So you've got this ex-grand wizard of the KKK from the South speaking. And you've got a gentleman, Michael Peace. He's spoken here before. A great friend of mine lives here in Rochester. does a great ministry in the inner city of Rochester. Uh, he used to be part of the Black Panther movement in the 70s. So you've got Michael Peace, who's part of the Black Panther, used to be part of the Black Panther movement. And you've got this ex-KKK wizard for the KKK standing together, hugging each other on stage, showing what God does when he reconciles a heart. That was like, so it was a, it was a visual image. I will never get out of my head showing what Christ can do with two groups of people that once hated each other, right? Would come against each other. Now standing on a stage together, hugging each other, because of what Christ can do. Tell me that's not a miracle of God. Amen? That's a miracle of God, of how God changed the heart. So here's the image. You've got two groups of people in the Old Testament who literally hate each other. You've got the Jew and the Gentile, same thing. Hate each other, want nothing to do with each other, and now God reconciles them. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he unites these two groups together, and God, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to miraculously save souls, and the church just grows by leaps and bounds because these past prejudices have now been broken. It's not because of what you are anymore. It's because of who you are in Christ. It's one of the things I loved about the youth group that I grew up in in the inner city because we had kids from all different backgrounds, all different ethnic backgrounds that all came together under the umbrella of Jesus' name and were one in Christ. It was a beautiful thing. 
And I, I, that's, I love the imagery that we get in the Old Testament that, that John gets, that, that, that when, we, when we see Christ and we're gathered around that throne, it's, it's, it says it's going to be people from every nation and every tongue. They're going to come together under the banner of Jesus' name, united because of what he's done and how he's broke down the wall of hostility between either ethnic backgrounds or whatever it is. Christ breaks that down now for us. So, so what we see here is that the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, was seen now in both Jew and non-Jew, and it brought them together through the body of Christ. And so what Jesus did here is Jesus died to give his life, to reconcile us back to God. And so here's the thing we have to look at. What really separates people uh, from each other? What causes prejudice? What, what causes us to be judgmental? What, what causes us to feel more superior from another group of people. What causes that? Well, here's, here's the root of it. The root of it is sin. Bottom line. The reason what causes us to be prejudiced and hateful and to become bigots, it's because of sin. Jesus' death was that payment for our sin and rebellion. Through Jesus' through Jesus death, he, he, he broke down that, that broken relationship that we had with God and he restored it. And so what it means to be reconciled is this. It means uh, to be in a right relationship again. It's to bring two parties into a peaceful relationship and it's to restore a friendship. And, and, I, and how many of us we've, we've, from time to time, we've gotten in an argument with a friend or somebody close to us and you stop talking to them. And eventually that relationship began to break down. It was broken and it was severed and it was, it was just not good. You, you had to avoid that, that person. You knew that person went to the 11 o'clock service. So you started going to the 830 service, right? I'm just teasing. Some of you are like, ah, oh, that's why I'm here this morning. No, I'm just teasing. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we, there was that, and, and, and the only way to repair that relationship was through reconciliation. In order for the relationship to be repaired, there has to be forgiveness and grace uh, that, that has to be shown. Our relationship with God was broken because of our sin. In fact, the Bible says we're actually enemies of God. I was doing my own thing. I didn't really care what God thought. When I used the Lord's name in vain, I really didn't give much thought to it. It, it didn't really bother me. Uh, I, when I saw my sin for what it really was and how I rebelled against God, then I saw my need for that forgiveness, for that relationship to be restored. I saw how much I, I hurt God. And so now when, I'm, when you're in that right relationship, all of a sudden you become sensitive to the things you say. All of a sudden when someone uses the Lord's name in vain, you're a little bit like, you know, it catches you off guard because you're like, well, wait a minute, I have a relationship with my Lord and Savior. Before that relationship was restored, it really didn't bother me that much. But now it bothers me because now that relationship is now restored. And if somebody comes against Jesus or says something, it, 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 it wakes us up because that relationship is restored. We're not enemies. We're not foreigners. We're together in Christ Jesus. And that's what he came to do. So when I saw my sin for what it really was and how I rebelled against God, I saw my need for forgiveness. And so what God says is, he says, God is able to forgive our sin and rebellion because he sent his son in my place to die to take the penalty of my sin. And when I understand here, listen, when I understand what God has done for me and I understand what he went through to reconcile me back to God, it has to translate in the way we treat each other. 
It can't just stop with me. I can't just say, okay, God, I accept your forgiveness. I accept what you did. You died a bloody death on the cross, hung naked for me to reconcile me back to God. You rose from the grave to prove that you are God, to prove that you restored that relationship with me. I receive that and I want to receive that. And I get that, God. And then all of a sudden I don't offer forgiveness or I allow relationships to remain broken. And God says, wait a minute, you, it can't stop with you. If, if you've received that ministry of reconciliation and God has restored your life, it has to be seen. It has to translate in the way we relate to others. And so what God did for us is he made the first step towards us by sending his son to deal with our sin issue. So God doesn't care uh, who you are or what you've done. He's no respecter of person. He doesn't look at your upbringing or if you had much or if you had little. He reaches us right where we are at. There's nothing you can do in your own strength to make things right with God. By his grace and mercy, he reached out to us first. Now, here's the thing. This is what's hard for most Christians because when we've been hurt, and somebody's done something wrong to us, it's very hard for us to see, to take this next step to say, you know what? I need to be the one. I need to take the high road. I need to be the one that first reaches out to reconcile. That's my obligation as a follower of Christ now to be the first one to reach over the fence, to be the first one to break down the walls. Now, I know we get hurt and I know people do stupid things and I know they hurt us and so on and so forth. But if I stand back and then I build walls up in those relationships, I'm missing what Christ did for me, that he first reached out to me when I didn't deserve it. So let me, let me read you some scriptures here because what God did for us, he did everything for us by sending his son and allowing him to die for our sins, pouring out his wrath on his very own son, allowing him to be the sacrifice for us. So what he did was by doing that, he's saying, I'm reaching out to you, even though you don't deserve it. You don't deserve my grace. I could leave you in that state, but because I love you so much, I want to show you my mercy and my grace. And I'm going to reach out to you by tearing down those walls and reconciling you back to myself through my son. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. But I'm going to reach out to you by giving my son as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice to reconcile and to make that relationship right with me again. So I love this verse. Listen to this verse. Romans 5.10, I love this. It says, for if while we were God's enemies, okay, this is our relationship before it was restored, for if while we were still God's enemy, what does he say here? We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And here's what Paul is saying. God didn't wait for us to get it all together before he would love us, before he would reach out to us to reconcile us. So when I receive Christ by faith, what I'm receiving is I'm believing that Christ is the only one, that he's the only one that can restore us back to a right relationship with God. When I see that, I understand the great lengths that God has went to and through to receive us, to make us his own. So he took that first step, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here it is. Here, here's how we're going to put the bow on this whole message. Are you ready? 
we, in order for that reconciliation to be real in my heart as a believer, and this is something that God has just been dealing with in my heart over the last couple of weeks. And, and we're going to do a series of messages starting in the fall, starting in September, of what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I, I, I don't want our church to fall in the trap of cultural Christianity where we get it all up here, but it doesn't translate into our heart and the way we live our lives. And I've been really wrestling with this. What does a Christian look like in this world? How does it look? Are we really different? When people see my life, is it really different? And I'm not talking about holding up a banner as you walk around saying, I'm a Christian, you're not, you're going to hell, have fun. That's not what I'm talking. That's not, I'm not talking about being weird like a freak weird, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. How are we different? How is my life different from those in the world? How is my life different after Christ has saved me and reconciled me. How is that different? How does that look? How is that demonstrated? Because God just didn't say it. He demonstrated it. He did something about it. He took the first step. And so for us, if it's real, if it's really real, if Christ really is real in my life, and I understand this reconciliation, and I understand his forgiveness, something has to change in my life. That doesn't mean we're perfect. That doesn't mean we never make mistakes. But it's in the way we live our lives that people take notice and say, wait a minute. Whoa. Hold the phone. Why are you responding that way when the world responds this way? That's, that's what made Jesus so unique because the way he responded compared to the world, was so different that even those that were supposedly his own came against him because it was so unique and so different. So radically different. Where Jesus says, don't come against your enemy. Pray for your enemy. Say, what? Pray for those that persecute you. Not only pray for him, but bless him. What? I heard a story of Rich Wilkerson, who was the cousin of Dave Wilkerson, who started the Teen Challenge movement. Heard him a couple weeks ago. He has a church, inner city Miami, and really deals with really hard, hard, hard people that come into his church. He said, let me just share this story. This is God has laid something out, so let me share it with you real quick. He said, not too far from their church was this huge strip club, huge, one, a, a massive one. And I forgot, the, I think it's called Tootsie's. That's all I remember. And he said, for years, I drove by that place because he says, the way to get to your church, you have to, in order not to go out on the highway, you can cut through their parking lot. It's easier to cut through that parking lot to get to our church as you cut through Tootsie's and it's much easier. So every time you go through there, he said, I would just curse that place. God, bring your fire down on this place, right? He would just, and he'd walk into work and he'd be all mad and angry. And they'd say, why are you so mad and angry? He goes, because I just, I just want to call fire down on that place. And he did this for years. Till eventually he said, one time he went through and God just grabbed his heart and said, Rich, do you love them? Do you love those people that work there and go there? Do you love them? And he goes, I just broke. Because what we did was this. 
He goes, we got our church together. And not that they agree with what's going on there, but he said, how are we praying for, for them, for those people that come there? How are we loving on them? So what they did was they got their church together, a prayer group that they had, and they walked over there. And they just began to circle the place. And they just prayed for it. They walked around. They prayed. And the people that went in there, he says, all we're going to do is we're going to say, hey, God bless you. Bless you. We love you. That's all we're going to say. We're not going to hold posters. We're not going to do it. We're just going to bless them. We're going to love them. We're going to keep blessing them. And, and he says, you should have seen the look on the people that were walking in there. He goes, what happened a year from that time? A woman came into their church that got invited. And she remembered what they did. She was one of their lead strippers, in fact. Made, made a lot of money. She goes, I knew something was wrong. But the love that you showed us, something happened, something happened, something happened. She walked into that church and came to know Christ because of their love for them. And she left that whole life. She left it behind because of a love that a church showed, not to curse, but to bless and to love them. People, listen to me. That's how I want our church to be. That's how I want our church to be. That doesn't mean we, that doesn't, listen, listen, listen to me closely. Don't misinterpret this. Because it's easy for Christians to point the finger at all the sin that goes on. Listen, unbelievers know what we stand against. Are you serious? They know what we stand against. But how many of us are truly loving them? So what I do when I go by the adult bookstore that's on 104, I don't curse it. I pray for them. It's not my job to curse. It's not my job to judge. It's my job to love. In fact, that was such a burden to a couple of men in our church that they went together and they went in there and invited the person that was in there to a thing we were having at our church. The girl was so overwhelmed in there that she goes, you know what? You were the first church that's ever reached out to us because everybody else, the only thing they've ever written to us was hate mail. And she began to cry. And they prayed for her in the adult bookstore. People, listen, while we were still sinners, God demonstrated his love towards us by giving us his son. Listen, this is what I try to do with my kids. I say, I need to insulate them from the world, but not isolate them. Are you hearing me? It's not my, listen, I don't want them to be caught up in the world thing because I know what sin does. I need to insulate them, to show them who they are in Christ. That the things of the world are not attracted, that the things of the world will leave you broken and leave you hurt. Just like this woman who came from this strip club into the church and became reconciled back to God. See, I can sit there and I can point the finger, point the finger, point the finger. But the problem is Jesus came to die for that very person. And how, what, how is that demonstrated in our lives? How are we reaching out to people? Listen, listen. How are we reaching out to people that are far away? God reached the Gentile who was far away and brought them into that covenant relationship. He reached out to them in their sin, in their immorality, in whatever they were into, and reached out to them with his love and showed him how to be reconciled back to God. Listen, 
we need to insulate ourselves, but let's, let's not insulate ourselves to the point to where we just become a club of us four and no more. And so for my heart is that God, I want our church to be a vehicle of reconciliation. That's why we have the trunk or treat during the Halloween season. Because I can't go across the tree because that's private property with the, all the mobile homes that are over there. But what I can do is I can say, hey, we're over here. This church is over here. Yeah, the one that's across the street. Hey, we just want you to know we love you. So we're going to throw you a party. We're just going to tell you we love you. We're going to give you free stuff and we're going to love on you. We're going to have conversations about Jesus, but we want you to know that we love you and you're welcome over here. Come on over, come on over. And I'll tell you what, last year, when I saw families walking over across the street with their kids, one mother said to me, you don't have any idea. For my child, this is like Disney World for her. Thank you for making it so nice. I said, we just want to know we love you and we're here. See, what Jesus did was he reached down to the lowest common denominator. He always reached out to the down and out, those that no one else cared about, those that society had casted apart. Now, the strip clubs, Tootsie's, well, we're going to push that aside because that's not who we're trying to reach. God says, no, that's exactly who we're trying to reach. Right? People, we need to repent as a church. And we need to repent in our hearts for the way we've looked at the world and the way we've treated people. Not the way that God wants us to do it, but the way we want it to. We need to repent from that and say, God, repentance is not feeling sorry. Repentance is a change of mind. God, change our minds to realize what we've been saved from, that we are now agents of reconciliation, that we're not here to judge the world. We're here to be agents of reconciliation to reach the world with your love. Doesn't mean we give in to sin. That doesn't mean we compromise. But how are we reaching out? You see, apart from Christ, you are further from God than you feared. In Christ, you are nearer to God than you ever hoped. And I want people that are far off to be brought in to that wonderful relationship of Jesus Christ that he now reconciles them. Our job is to bring others to the saving knowledge of Christ by the way we demonstrate it in our lives. Amen? Church, are you with me? Am I by myself in this? Am I, am I waving my own flag over here? Are you with me, church? Are you hearing what I'm saying? So let God break our hearts and let God change us and the way we see the world, the way you see your family that are far off, when you see your messy relationships that are far off, let God change you. Let him break your heart to know, listen, this is what I've saved you from. Now, go, 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 and take the high road and be my ministers of reconciliation in this world. L l let's... Let's surprise the world by how we treat them. Because I guarantee they're thinking, we're like, point the finger. And then we come and just say, hey, we want to invite you. We just want to love on you. They're like, wait a minute, what? Let's act like Jesus. Let's allow him to change us in these things.
So Lord Jesus, we just bow our hearts before you. And as we close in song today, it's, it's a song of, 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 of celebration of what you have done for us. And so God, as we celebrate in this closing song, as we celebrate what you've done for us, God, may you insulate us from the things in the world so they don't drag us down. But God, let us not be isolated from the world because you called us to go into that messiness. You've called us to, to, to go to the undesirables, the, the, the ones that the, the, the society has, has, has casted out. You've called us to go there, God, and to share that wonderful message that Jesus saves, the wonderful message that Jesus invites you into this wonderful relationship that will forgive and heal and bring a new identity to your life. God, may it be demonstrated. May it be demonstrated in the way we love. So change us, God. Change our hearts, we pray. To have the heart of Christ. To have the heart of Christ in the way we reconcile this world back to you. Guard our hearts from animosity and hatred and bigotry and selfishness. Guard our hearts from those things that would keep us from showing your love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, "Woo! I didn't expect all that today. So you're lucky you came to the 830 service. Amen. So let's stand and let's sing this. This is a great song of celebration. Let's sing what God has done for us. God bless.